Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. Tonight I, I want to do something that's probably kind of weird, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to talk about Mark 1 all the way through basically Mark 6, but I, I'm kind of going to skim through and kind of give you some of the things that were going on in Mark's gospel to give you an idea of, of you know, about the Pharisees and about the disciples and about Jesus' family and, you know, and hopefully be able to relate those things to, to us in our lives as well. So I'm just going to start right at the beginning. I, I am going to talk about some things in, in Mark chapter 6, 45 through 52, but I'm going to kind of give you a survey of what, what John has in his gospel, and we're going to start right there at Mark. Uh, did I say Mark? Uh, not John, but Mark in his gospel. Uh, on, in verse 2 of uh, chapter 1, Mark quotes the prophet Isaiah. It's Isaiah 40 and 3 when he says, It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now, we know now that that's John the Baptist, right? And so John came, he came preaching a baptism of forgiveness of sins. This is something different, and people were not used to that. So, you know, he was kind of an outcast, but he was preaching the baptism of forgiveness of sins. And in fact, John told the people that were coming that, hey, there's going to be one coming after me that's going to baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire, and I'm not even worthy enough to untie his sandal. And so then Jesus comes, and John baptizes Jesus, and when he comes out of the water, the Spirit of God comes down in a form of a dove, and the, you hear the voice of God speak, You are my Son, in whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, as a side note right here, all three persons of the Trinity are found in this event. If you notice, Jesus, who's being baptized, the Holy Spirit the, that, that came down in the form of a dove, and, and then God's voice. So this is a perfect picture of, of the Trinity right here. In verse 12, the Holy Spirit then led Jesus to be tempted by Satan in the desert. Now, I think it's kind of interesting that it doesn't say that the Holy Spirit led Jesus out to be tempted by evil spirits. He was tempted by Satan. Now, if you've ever watched any cop shows or, or anything like that, you'll, you'll, you'll see that they have a drug ring or, or a prostitution ring. They usually start with the low people. And they work their way up because they're hoping they can get the top man. If they get the top man, they can stop it. Well, Jesus didn't even mess with the little people. He just went on with the he got He got the big one out of the way right to start with when he defeated him in the desert. So, and, and another thing, that in John's gospel, uh, 4.1, it says Jesus full of the Holy Spirit when he was going into the desert. But in John 4.14, when he come out of the desert or the wilderness, Jesus was going into Galilee, it says, Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we came in full of the Holy Spirit, and he came out in the power of the Holy Spirit because, you know, that's where, that's where your power is. The Holy Spirit, being full of the Holy Spirit, gives you the power to do what God is calling you to do. Uh, in, in verse 14, Jesus preaches in Galilee and later calls his first four disciples. Now, his first four disciples, Simon Peter, um, his brother Andrew, and James and John. In verse 21, he went to Capernaum. 
and he was teaching, and, and everyone was amazed because he was teaching with an authority that they had never heard before. In the synagogue when he was preaching, there was a man that was possessed by an evil spirit, and he cried out in verse 23, and the spirit said, What do you want from us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus told the evil spirit to be quiet and come out of him, and he did. Now, I want to remind you that Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and there were others there as well, heard what that evil spirit had said, and that Jesus was the Holy One of God. And they witnessed Jesus casting out this evil spirit. Verse 29, Jesus goes to the home of Peter and Andrew, and Peter's mother-in-law is sick. And so Jesus goes over and heals Peter's mother-in-law, and she gets up and starts waiting on him. And, and once again, you have Peter and Andrew and James and John. They're all there watching what's going on. They, they saw Jesus heal his mother-in-law. And then people, they'd already seen what Jesus could do, so people started bringing the sick and the demon-possessed uh, to Peter's home, and Jesus started healing them. And as I said, all four of the, witness, uh, the, the disciples were witnessing every bit of what Jesus was doing. Then they left Peter's home, and they went throughout Galilee, and Jesus preached in the synagogues, and he drove out demons, and they witnessed all that as well. And then in verse 40, Jesus healed a man of leprosy. It's a lot of things right there that these disciples had seen. Chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus went back to Capernaum, and people heard that he was there, so they crowded in to hear him, and this is the one that the, the friends had the paralyzed man, and they couldn't get him through the crowd to get to Jesus so he could be healed. So they get up on the roof, and they tear a hole in the roof, and they lower him down. And once again, the, the Pharisees saw that, all the people standing around, and the disciples saw that as well. In verse 14, Jesus calls Levi, who is known as Matthew, the tax collector. And Jesus goes into Matthew's house with tax collectors and sinners. What do you mean? the Messiah? Jesus going in to eat with tax collectors and sinners? That's not what the Messiah is supposed to be. The Pharisees, they're like, there's no way this is the Messiah. The disciples were probably going, what is he doing? You know, they, they didn't know either. None of them knew exactly what his mission was. But Jesus told the Pharisees, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, he's called five disciples so far. Peter. Andrew, James, John, and Matthew. In verse 18, starts the questioning from the religious leaders about why Jesus' disciples were not fasting. Jesus said in verse 20 that when the bridegroom's taken from them, they will fast. And Jesus, again, was proclaiming that he was the Son of God, but they didn't understand it. None of them understood it. Verse 23, Jesus and the disciples picked some heads of grain on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees were angry about it. Don't you love that about Jesus? He knew he was going to make them out. You know he did. It was great. He always did stuff on the Sabbath because he was teaching, right? He was trying to teach them something. And then he said, Jesus said, the Sabbath was made, uh, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now Jesus said, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So Jesus again was telling them exactly who he was, but none of them understood it. Then we go to chapter 3 in verse 1. Jesus heals a man uh, with a shriveled hand on the Sabbath. And the disciples and the Pharisees, they witnessed his healing. Verse 7 through 12, the disciples witnessed more healings. And in verse 11, it tells us that evil spirits 
when they saw Jesus, would fall down before him and cry out, You are the Son of God, but he told them not to tell anyone. Now, I guess it's possible that only Jesus heard them, that evil spirit, say that, that he was the Son of God. It's possible, but I doubt it. Uh, but but it, it still, the disciples had to see what went on, right? They, they saw this man that was acting like a fool because he was full of, a Holy spirit, uh, full, full of the evil spirit. And when Jesus took that evil spirit out, he changed. They saw it. Um, verse 13 through 18, Jesus selects the other seven of the 12 disciples and gave them authority, listen, gave them the authority to, to preach and to drive out demons. Gave them the authority to do that in his name. Now, we know that Peter, Andrew, James, John, and Matthew were there for many of those miracles. And, and honestly, probably many of those other disciples were probably there too because they followed him around everywhere, right? So they, they had seen the things that were going on as well. Um, in verse 20 through 30, the religious leaders accused Jesus of being under Satan's power. And Jesus reminded them that a kingdom divided against itself will fall. And see, they had witnessed him casting out demons, so that was telling them right there, he can't be, he can't be evil. Because you, you can't have a, a, a house divided against itself. It would never stand. So he, once again, he's trying to tell them who he is. On a side note, on 21, Jesus and his disciples, and the disciples had entered the house, a house to eat and probably relax because people were always around them. But the crowd gathered, so they didn't get to, get to do that. This is, the, it, this is the part that gets me. Jesus' family came to, quote, in my Bible, Take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. Jesus' family. That includes Mary, by the way. You would have thought that, that Mary would have at least told her, her. Well, first of all, you would have thought that Mary would have known. All right? She, she should have known something, that Jesus was different, you know. <laughs> Don't you think? And, and she probably should have and probably did tell her her son, other sons and daughters. Of course, James, the brother of Jesus, didn't even believe in Jesus until after resurrection. So, but they didn't believe. They didn't understand. They thought he was crazy. And so the whole the family was coming to get him. They didn't understand either. And verse 31 through 34, they came to Jesus and told him his mother and brothers were there to see him. And Jesus told the people, whoever does God's will is my brother, sister, and mother. I always, before I really started researching a lot of this, I always thought, well, that was kind of mean. Kind of mean to say, well, you know, you're not going to worry about my mother and brother. But now you know why. They thought he was crazy. Right? So, that's just interesting to me. Chapter 4. Jesus preaches on the four souls. He preaches about what the kingdom of God is like. And he's using parables, but he's telling his disciples, he's explaining it all to them when they get along. So, once again, you would think, oh, they, they probably should understand who Jesus is. Verse 35, it says, After a full day of ministry, Jesus and the disciples get into a boat, and as they are traveling to the other side of the lake, a great storm arose, and the disciples fear for their lives. Jesus was asleep at the stern. Now, mine said he was laying on a cushion. And they, the disciples woke him up and asked if he even cared if they drowned. Jesus gets up and rebukes the wind and waves, and they are completely calm. They were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I guess I can, I guess I can, I've probably been the same way. I mean, probably all of us would have been the same way, which I'll get to in a minute. But you would kind of think that after they'd seen everything that Jesus had done and Jesus was in the boat with them, you'd probably think that 
they, Jesus probably had this under control too, right? But at this point now, you will see, because this is going to come up later in, in, in Mark 6, uh, you do see that now they, they saw him take care of the wind and waves, right? The storm. Chapter 5. Verse 1 through 20, Jesus cast evil spirits out of a man that was living in the tombs. Uh, the evil spirit inside the man recognized who Jesus was and ran and fell on his knees and shouted, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? The evil spirit's name was Legion because there were many spirits. And once again, was Jesus the only one to hear that man, that evil spirit say, What do you want from us, son of God, or Jesus, now son of God? I mean, it's possible, but I really doubt it. They probably heard that. Uh, verse 21 through 43, a large crowd gathered again. Uh, Jairus, if you remember, Jairus' daughter was sick. He was a synagogue ruler, and he'd come to Jesus and wanted him to go to Jairus' to his house to heal his, his little daughter. And there was a lot of crowd there, and uh, there was a, a lady that uh, had been dealing with um, a blood issue for like 12 years, and this crowd was all around Jesus, and she touched the hem of his garment, and Jesus said, hey, who touched me? And his disciples were like, well, Jesus they probably thought he was crazy too. Have you not looked around you? There's people everywhere. What do you mean who touched you? Who touched you? I felt power come out of me. So they witnessed. They, talked, they found the lady. They talked to the lady. They saw that she was healed. The, the, the disciples saw this. I'm sure they were, there were Pharisees there too. They all saw it. Everything that Jesus was doing. And then as they were talking, um, a man, uh, for, um, some men from the house of Jairus came and said, hey, your daughter's dead. You know, don't bother the teacher anymore. And Jesus said, uh, he said, just don't be afraid. Just believe. And so Jesus took Peter, James, and John and the parents up, just them. And he raised the dead. He raised this little girl from the dead. And they saw it. They saw it. Chapter 6. Jesus went to his hometown of Nazareth, but because of their unbelief, Jesus could only do a few miracles. The people couldn't get over that he was Mary's son and the brothers of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. How could Jesus be the Messiah? You know, we'd be the same way. Well, we'd not be the same way. I mean, really, I mean, I know, uh, you know, I know your brothers and your sisters. I, I don't, don't think so. You know, we'd be the same way. And they didn't have any faith, and so he didn't do many miracles there. And verse 7, Jesus sent the 12 disciples out two by two. Now, this is interesting. He sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. They went out and preached, cast out demons, healed the sick in Jesus' name. This was really like a little missionary journey, wasn't it? They were, they were missionaries at that point. They were going out, and they were doing Jesus' bidding. As a side note, you'll see that there's something in there about John the Baptist, uh, how Herod had killed John the Baptist. Now, John, when he was in prison, he sent his disciples to find out if Jesus was the Messiah. You would have thought he'd already known that by now. Because if you remember going back to when they were, uh, he was baptizing Jesus, John had told Jesus that, hey, I, I should be baptized by you. And in John's gospel, in 129, it says that John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what John said. So he should have known, right? And then in, in verse uh, 32 and 34 in, that, in John uh, 1, uh, it says that John saw the Holy Spirit come down as a dove, and he testified that Jesus was the Son of God. 
don't you think Elizabeth, John's mother, probably told John about like when Mary came in and she was pregnant with, with Jesus and came in and he leapt in, his, in Elizabeth's womb and, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit? Don't you think she probably told him that? But yet he was sending someone to the jail to find out if he was the Messiah. Verse 30, the disciples gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they, done, they had done and taught. they just come off that missionary journey, and they didn't have time to eat or rest because so many people were coming to Jesus. So Jesus was going to take them away to a quiet place and rest. However, people saw them get out of the boat and followed them. Jesus had compassion on all the people, and he started ministering to them, and it was getting late, and the disciples, if you remember, were hungry and tired because it said they didn't have time to eat and they were coming off. Anybody ever been on a missionary journey, a mission, mission trip? You are give out when you come back. So they were tired. And so they told Jesus, we need to let these people go and get some food. I always thought, well, maybe they, were really, they really did feel compassion. They, maybe they did feel compassion for those people. I think they were hungry too. <laughs> I think they were hungry and uh, I think they were tired. And so they were probably maybe thinking about the people, but they were thinking about themselves too. But, Jesus fed the 5,000, and the disciples helped in the distribution. So they were involved in the miracle. And then I am ready to read Mark 45, uh, Mark 6, 45 through 52. All right, so this is right after the feeding of the 5,000. It says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them. By the way, that's between 3 and 6 in the morning. Walking on the lake, he was about to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. So the disciples had they'd gotten the boat, and Jesus went back and dismissed the crowd. And Jesus went up on the mountainside to pray. He was probably there for a while. Uh, pray and then Jesus went back to the shore and he had he saw the disciples struggling with the oars because of the wind so Jesus walked on the water he walked on the the maybe lake water uh, and it said that he was going to pass by them I've always wondered what that meant pass by them I mean surely Jesus wasn't going to just leave them out there stranded in the lake so I, I did some more research on that and this is what I believe. Now, I can't tell you 100% this is correct. All right? But this is what, from what I study, this is what I believe. Okay? I believe in according to what I've read and studied that Jesus was once again trying to reveal himself to the disciples. And here's why. God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 33, 18 through 23 by passing by. Let me read it to you. This is Exodus 33, 18 through 23. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to 
pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there's a place near where you, can, you may stand on the rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. God also revealed himself to, to Elijah by doing something very similar. In 1 Kings 19, 11 through 13, the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Both these, let me, I guess I'll finish, but both these times he was revealing who he was as he was passing by. And so it says, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, and the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood in the mouth of the cave. So this is why I believe that once again, after all the things they had seen, and even the things they had done in Jesus' name, they couldn't quite, get enough faith to believe that he was truly the Messiah. And he was going to reveal himself again by walking on the water. So Jesus gets in the boat. The wind dies down. Now, a side note here. Matthew records this event in chapter 14. This is when Peter walks in the water too. And Matthew 14, 28 through 33 says, Lord, if it is you, Peter said, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down uh, out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and called him. You of little faith, he said. Why do you doubt? And when they climbed in the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were, who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. One other note about Jesus walking on the water. The main thing that the disciples were worried about was drowning or their, their ships being destroyed. And Jesus came walking on the thing they were just so worried about. It's kind of a picture of, of Jesus proving again that, hey, I've got everything under my feet. I've got everything under control. Can't you see it? Even the thing that you think is going to kill you, I'm walking on it. Boy, we serve a great God. And in verse 52, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Why in the world would their hearts be hardened? How could they not believe? They didn't really truly see who Jesus was. They really didn't see it. They didn't see Jesus in their trials. We do the same thing. Could it be that they just quite they just quite couldn't understand how a human named Jesus could be the Messiah? Possibly. I mean, kind of hard to believe, isn't it? A human. The Messiah? Could it be that they couldn't believe that the Son of God would have chosen them as disciples? Why would the Messiah pick, pick such lowly sinners to do His glorious work? You ever had that question to yourself? 
What can someone like me actually do for God? What have I got to offer? Well, let me tell you what you got to offer. All of your heart, soul, mind, strength. That's what you got. You give him everything you got, and that's all he wants. And when you give him everything you've got, he'll use you. He'll use you. Maybe they didn't understand his purpose for coming to the earth. They had probably been taught their whole lives that the Messiah was going to be a military leader. He was going to come and, 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 and free them from the Roman rule. And here's Jesus as a humble servant going, love your enemies. That didn't sound like the Messiah they were looking for. Now, we know the Pharisees should have known that, but even the ones, you know they heard this. You know the disciples, they all heard well, the Messiah's going to come one day and he's going to be a military leader. I mean, we all know how gossip is, right? Well, it wasn't gossip, it was true. But not that true. Not the truth of him being a military leader anyway. After all the things that they had witnessed and been part of, healing, casting out of demons in Jesus' name, they still didn't have enough faith to believe that he was the Son of God. It really wasn't until after the feeding of the 4,000 in, in chapter 8, that Peter declared that, that Jesus was the Son of God. There was many more miracles and different things that went on at that time. You think about all the things they witnessed, and they did in Jesus' name. They just doubted. They didn't understand. They didn't understand Jesus had everything under his feet. And we do the same thing. We try to do everything ourselves. We're in a trial. We don't, a lot of times we don't turn to Christ until we've exhausted everything that we can do. When he's right there going, just give it to me, I'll take it. I can handle it for you. So I want to, uh, I, I say this because I want to get to this last part. Purple Sunday's coming up March the 6th. And um, this is the day that we remember what God has done for us. We wear purple. And I, I want to challenge you to do something before March the 6th. Six. I want to challenge you to write down the things God has done for you in your life. Either you, your family, write them down. Write them down or read them when you're feeling alone and you have no hope. I found that reading the memories of what Christ has done in my family and my life is an encouragement. It increases my faith. It gives me joy in times that, I, that I, uh, you know, it keeps me focused. It refreshes my spirit. We need to write down the memories of when Jesus has passed by us and revealed himself to us. In Exodus 10, 1 through 2, the Bible says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials so that I may perform these signs among, uh, mine among them. Listen to this. That you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses was to tell his children and grandchildren. It just, it just keeps going down and down and down. And let me tell you, the people back then, they had a great memory. Our memories are stinky most of the time. We don't remember. Unless we write something down, if you're like me. I don't remember anything unless I write it down. But they, they, that's what, how they, they told the stories. 
in a book that we're using in uh, one of the D groups that I'm in, uh, by Ro- uh, it's called Growing Up by Robbie Gallaty. It says, throughout the book of Joshua, God continued to work supernaturally, prompting the people to erect stone memorials seven times. Many people pray to God to work in their lives, but how many actually keep a record of his faithfulness? These spiritual stones, records of God's faithfulness, will fortify your faith during difficult seasons in life again and again. They will, they will be platforms of praise. Listen to this part. Forgetting God's goodness is not an option in his kingdom. So I'm challenging you before Purple Sunday to take the time to sit down and write down the things that God has done for you. Now, I've got some things, and I'm, I'm trying not to run too late. I wrote these down um, in 2007 is when I wrote these. And now I've got some more that I've got to write down. I pull these out this week, and I pull them out periodically and, and read them. And I, I guess maybe that's why I'm emotional, because... I don't know how many times I've cried this week reading what God has done for me. And knowing that one day, if I keep adding to this, my children, my grandchildren, and hopefully my great-grandchildren, and anybody else that will read it will be, feel closer to God and know that He can do anything by reading what God has done in my life. And I'm just going to tell you some of this. And some of you have heard this before because I, I used this in a different sermon way back when. 12, 13, whatever years ago. Even before I was born, God was working to ensure me uh, that he was who he said he was. The same God today as he was yesterday and will be forever. My mother was told she had a one in a million chance to have a baby. And she had three. God healed my mother of throat cancer before I was born for proving that he was still a healing God. God healed my mother's leg after she had been hit by a car. The doctor said she would never walk on that leg again, but if there's some chance she might, she might could make, it's, she's going to have a bad limp. She walked on the leg. There was no limp. God healed her that leg. And by the way, I took a picture of that leg to show and tell one time. They couldn't even tell what it was. It was awful. After Melania and I got married, God continued to show how good he was. He provided for our needs. The store I was working closed, and Melania was still uh, in attending school at JSU. Our rent was $180 a month. My unemployment check was $65 a week. I had $3 in the checkbook and nothing to fall back on. We paid our $6.50 tithe because I surely wasn't going to cheat God. Uh, and when all hope was gone, after Melania and I had prayed to the fullest, once again, God provided. I went down to the mailbox and found a $250 check. We had sang at a church the month before, and they gave us $50, and they just said, we just feel like we need to give you some more money. And they sent us some money. $250 back then was a lot of money, y'all. And, uh, and then there was a lady in that church that said that found out Melania was uh, in special education, and he, she started sending money to get her through school. God healed Melania of rosacea when it looked like there was no hope. God called me from Faith Temple Church to First Baptist Church of Alexander City, and we needed $3,200 for a down payment on the house, and I didn't have it. I had two weeks to get out of the parsonage. had nowhere to go. Someone came in our house and laid $3,200 on my counter. 
for the, for the down payment God provided. When Hannah Ruth, uh, when I went to Sardis, we still had a house in Ellicott City, couldn't sell, and I couldn't afford two houses. God provided a house that we lived in for free for three years. Hannah Ruth was on the softball team and went to the World Series in Texas, and we didn't have the money to get her there, and so the coaches asked if we put a bucket at the church to help the team go. And they raised $2,100 at our church in one Sunday. But that wasn't a miracle. The miracle was people started handing me money for my family to go, and they handed me $1,600 to go to Texas. I had no way to go. God provided. God provided during the month of February of 2007. At the end of, I, I was getting paid once a month. And by the time I got through paying the, the bills, we were $600 short. Car repairs. Uh, Hand Ruth had a band instrument need. We didn't have the money. And uh, I went to Malaya and I said, you better pray because it's going to take a miracle for this. <laughs> God provided $720 that, that month. Weddings. People would call me and say, can you play trumpet at a wedding? Sure. They'd pay me to go to a wedding. There were funerals that people, you know, I, I don't really want money for funerals, but people want to give you money when you do funerals. And by the end of the month, $720. And then the biggest one that we all know, but I'm going to tell you again. Because every time I get a chance, I'm going to tell you. 2000, March of 2007, the best miracle of my life besides salvation. This is one I can't get through. In 2001, Melania became ill, and the doctor said she had lupus. There were three doctors that said she had lupus. She went to three different doctors. And there's no cure for lupus. She was very sick, and one time she laid on the couch for three days, and she didn't even know where she was. Um, and I, I was feeding her Gatorade through a straw to try to keep her from being dehydrated. In late 2005, God told Melania to get off her medicine. She was on nine pills a day. And by December of 2005, she had weaned herself off nine pills. And in January of 2006, she went for a test. And when her blood work came back, we were disappointed. There was lupus all present in the blood work. And, you know, I, I, honestly, I, I didn't have as much faith as she did. I, I wanted her to go back on medicine. I, I was, because I knew it could kill her if it gets the right organs. But Melana prayed. The church prayed. I prayed. The children prayed. God listened. March of 2007. Melania went to the doctor, and when the blood work came back, they said it was normal. Not just barely normal, it was normal. So she made an appointment for the lupus doctor in Birmingham. This is a Kirkland clinic. And she was in a worldwide study for lupus, y'all. And when the test came back, they couldn't find lupus anywhere. And she asked him, she said, is there any possible way that she could have been mixed, misdiagnosed? And the doctor said, there is no way. No way you were misdiagnosed. you think that reading that right there won't get you fired up when you're in a tough situation and you feel like you're all down and you're by yourself and you pull something like this out and you start reading what God has done in your life it'll change you it'll give you it'll give you a boldness it'll give you a boldness to start preaching the name of Jesus to tell people about him It'll give you a boldness to do lots of things you don't think you can do because you'll know that you've got the Holy Spirit in you that can, He can do the things He wants to do if you'll just allow Him to do it. So I want to challenge you. Take the time. Take the time. You've got, I think, three weeks. Three, two and a half weeks. 
take the time to sit down and write down those. Just think back of all the things that have happened in your life and write down as many as you can. and Keep them somewhere where you can get to. Because you want to pass those down to your children and your grandchildren and on and on and on. It'll build your faith. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.